0: Well, it is a delight and honor to be here this morning. I'm excited to be here worshiping with you through song. As the worship team was singing, I was thinking about Psalm 100, verse number two. Excuse me. Psalms 100, verse number two, where it says, worship the Lord with gladness. And then it says, and come before him with joyful song.'" And that's why we gather here to, to sing praises corporately unto, our, unto our, our king and our Lord. You certainly could have stayed home and, and vacuumed and swept and sang praises to the Lord by yourself, but it's something good when we all get together and do it. Uh, but I'm equally excited not just to sing praises to our king, but also to hear about him through the preach word. So if you guys indulge me and grab your Bibles, meet me in the book of Habakkuk. That is where we're going to spend our time. Uh, as you turn there, listen, no shade. If you gotta go to the table of contents, I'm I'm not we're not gonna we're not gonna shame you in here, maybe a little bit, but you'll be all right. Uh if you have your devices, you can if you're scrolling through, you'll find Habakkuk between Nahum and Zephaniah. Uh it, it's such a small book that if you grab two pages and flip, you've missed Habakkuk. And so uh literally take your time trying to find this rich prophetic book. Uh, We kicked it off last week and last week we got to we we didn't hear God say anything last week in in terms of in the text. It was just Habakkuk complaining and asking a bunch of questions. And uh, he was talking about the sins of Israel and ended up even talking about uh, how justice is perverted. And, you know, one of the things we tried to talk about last week is how it's important not to neglect preaching through. The prophetic books of the Bible, uh, either the major or the minor prophets. And the reason it's important is because a lot of people that do that typically don't deal with the churches, don't deal well with social justice issues. Why? Because the prophets are always talking about social justice issues. So last week we got to see, he says it twice, he talks about justice uh, never goes forth. And he's like, but if it does, it's perverted. And so we'll spend the next eight to 10 weeks working through this book uh, called Habakkuk. One thing I'm amazed at, is a book that was written in 610 B.C. is so relevant and we can apply it in 2018. I'm excited to walk through this with you today. Why don't you guys pick me up in verse 5. Last week we saw Habakkuk's complaint and questions. This week we get to see the Lord's answer. Verse number 5 says this, Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. Underline this next phrase. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans or the Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breath of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like eagles, swift to devour. They all come for violence, and all their faces forward. We have to define what faces forward means. The English language does not do that justice, so we'll work there a little bit. They gather captives like sand. At kings, they scoff, and at rulers, they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up the earth and take it. And they sweep by like the wind and go on guilty men whose might is their own God. I want to preach this week from the topic entitled God's Unexpected Answer. Last week we talked about questions and complaints. This week we will talk about God's unexpected answer. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you this morning as we gather ourselves around your infallible word. We do so pleading for your presence. We do that every single week because we realize that if you're Holy Spirit is not present in this room. This will just be an informational dump. But, Father, when the ghost is here, it impacts our hearts. It's transformational. So we pray that the spirit would move in this place for your glory and for your honor. Father, Jesus said that every prophet spoke about him. So, Father, woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. Woe unto me if we don't find Jesus Christ smack dead in the middle of this passage. Be glorified this morning through our time together in your word. in in Christ's name we pray. Let everybody say amen. amen. God's unexpected answer. In 2007, an unemployed man from Georgia by the name of Conrad Mayer uh, was making a lot of money. And when I say a lot of money, he was literally unemployed. He was depositing at least $10,000 into his bank account per day. Every day he'd go down to the bank in 2007 in Georgia and he would deposit at least $10,000 every single day. And, uh, you, you know, I know you're probably asking, if you're unemployed, you're probably like, how can I get that gig? But one of the things you'll notice that he was doing, of course, it was illegal what he was doing. One of the things you'll see that he was doing is that he rented out a storage unit. And in that storage unit, he had his whole scam set up to where he was printing bills. He was making all types of money in this storage unit. And the, the interesting thing about that is he was using laser templates and uh, he, he was using all types of like special paper and different chemicals, including baby powder. And what he was doing was making these bills. And here's the interesting thing that an officer says when they finally found him out. This is what the officer says. It's it's the best counterfeit scheme I have ever seen in my law enforcement career. The bills look and feel real. Only an expert can tell that they were fake. You might be asking, how was he caught? He forgot to pay the rent on the storage unit. And the workers went into the storage unit to clean it out. And when they went in, they busted him for all that was going on there. The moral of the story is this. The moral of the story is that it doesn't matter how long you are going undercover with your sin. It will always find you out. It always does. In fact, you know, there's a, a verse in. In uh, Numbers chapter 32, verse 23, that says, but if you fail to do this, you will be sinning against the Lord. Listen to this. And you may be sure that your sins will find you out. Last week, when we were looking at verses one through four, really two through four, we got to see the sins of Judah. And that God, it looks like God wasn't answering them because Habakkuk kept saying, how long am I going to cry to you about Judah's sins? Your people are in deep sin. In fact, the words that he used to describe them last week, remember, was violence and iniquity and destruction. And he says, again, violence and wrong and strife and contention. So really what Habakkuk was saying was your people are acting crazy. And it is almost as though their sin is going unnoticed. Before we dig in the text, let me try to bring this a little bit more practical for you. If you're in this room and you are stuck in a cycle of sin and you think nobody knows about it, you ain't tell your friend, you may be coming here on a regular, you may be going to small group on the regular, you may be connected to DNA, you may give financially to the church or serve on some type of ministry at the church, but nobody knows your sin, here's what I know, your sin will find you out. I don't care how fun it is. I don't care how great the sin is. Trust me, at some point, sin always has a way to be exposed. And it's almost like in our text in verses five through 11, it's like God is now going into this storage unit and uncovering the sins of Judah. Verses one through four really was just Habakkuk talking. And what we get now in verses five through 11, Habakkuk doesn't say a word. Now we get God's response in verses 5 through 11. It's almost like God is, God is like pulling a, a Kanye West on Taylor Swift where he just like completely interrupts. Like it was so abrupt. If you're reading this, if you've been going through Habakkuk in your devotional series, you will notice that the conversation just abruptly switches like that. Because God is like, okay, Habakkuk, shut up. You've talked long enough. My turn. Let me talk. And everything that Habakkuk was praying, God is like, "Oh, you think I don't know that? You think you're because you're a prophet, you're telling me something I don't know? I know their sins. In fact, I've already started to raise up a nation to convict them of their sins. Won't you pick me up so we can consider the verses before us? I will not be before you long. Pick me up in verse number five. Here's God's response. Look among the nations and see, wonder, and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. A few years ago, my family and I went to, uh, to Six Flags Great Adventure in Jackson, New Jersey. Toby Mac was in concert there. My youngest son, my, both of my boys used to love Toby Mac. And so we took them to this concert. And we had Toby Mac t-shirts made. Like we went all out. And when we got there, there was a group of uh, like a youth group that was there, probably from a local church. And all of them had on these t-shirts. And on the t-shirts, they had quoted the second half of this verse. It's the second half of this verse that they had quoted for. I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Now, here's the problem with putting this verse on T-shirts and having kids run around great adventure. This ain't a blessing. Like we read this like, oh, man, the Lord is doing a work in our days. No, the rest of the text is going to say, I'm doing a work in your days. I'm going to destroy everybody. I'm killing everybody. Yeah, let's put that on a T-shirt and let kids run around great adventure with it. This is why it's important to never take verses out of its context, because if you take this verse and snatch it out of its context, you'll think God has given a blessing. In fact, Paul is going to use this same exact verse in Acts chapter 13. And when he uses it in Acts 13, he's not saying it's a blessing. He's saying turn to Jesus or what will happen to Judah will happen to you. So don't look at this verse and just be like, oh, man, he's doing a work in our days. And if he told you you wouldn't believe it, yeah, you wouldn't believe it because it's not a good thing that he's going to do with Judah. Their sins are being exposed. Look at the verse. It says, look among the nations and see and wonder and be astounded or be utterly amazed. God calling Habakkuk to look outside of Judah, his covenant people. Him calling them to look at another nation really is God saying, Habakkuk, listen, I'm sovereign over all nations. Like, I don't know how you feel. Sometimes, you know, last week I was in North Carolina in a hotel and me and my oldest son, and I was just watching the news, watching CNN, you know, world news. And as I'm watching, like, you ever watch the news and walk away and just feel depressed? Like, what in the world is going on in this world? How is it so evil? You see corrupt nations and dictator leaderships and Here's the thing. You don't even got to look far to see corrupt government. You can look at our own nation and see that. And And so you there's a sense where you could walk away and be like, man, like I feel depressed. Is God really in control of all nations? Here's what I know. He just told Habakkuk, turn on CNN, look at the other nations. I'm in control, not just of my nations, but the most wicked and brutal regime can't move unless I say they move. What he's showing us here is that God is sovereign. God is in complete control. There is nothing outside of God. And here's the crazy thing. In verses 1 through 4, it's almost like Habakkuk threw a tantrum. And, And God is not moved by, he's not moved because Habakkuk is throwing a tantrum. And let me say that to you as well. God is not moved because you have an emotional outburst. He's moved by his own sovereign will. He's moved when he decides to move. In fact, let me put a little Bible there. Psalms chapter 115 verse 3 says this, our God is in the heavens. He does as he pleases. Psalm 135 verse 6 says this, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth. Job 9, 12, were he to snatch away, who could restrain him? Who could say to him, what are you doing? I love this one. Isaiah 66 verse 1, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Like earth that you live on, I doubt if anybody in this room has ever been outside of earth and gone to another planet. You're stuck here on earth. And God is like, you're stuck there, but that's my footstool. He is sovereign. He is big. And so what he's telling Habakkuk to do is look, look at the other nations. There's something else you should note here. In God telling Habakkuk to look at the other nations, it's showing us that you can have 2020 vision and still miss what God is doing. Because now, let's be real. Habakkuk probably got a better relationship with the Lord than you and I. We're spending the next eight to ten weeks eavesdropping on a conversation between Habakkuk and God. I doubt if you've ever heard the audible voice of God and just talk back and forth like you talk with your friend. Habakkuk is doing that, though. Yet, even though he is a spiritual man, he's a man that has a relationship with the Lord that he can talk audibly with the Lord. He's still missing what God is doing. And here's my question to you. As God is sovereign, as God is working through different situations in our life, are we looking at our situations with spiritual discernment instead of complaining, looking at that situation and saying to yourself, God is sovereign over this? Like we seem to think when something happens in our life, we seem to think that God can't know this is going on. Like, God, like, he's up in heaven and he's confused. Like, when he finds out, he's going to be upset. No, God knows. There's not a thing you can go through in your life that God doesn't know. How do I know? Look among the nations, is what he told Habakkuk. Because in looking amongst the nations, what you're seeing is my sovereign control, even if you don't understand it. In the midst of not understanding it, it still does not mean that I'm not sovereign. No, I'm sovereign and I'm in control. I know Habakkuk is probably... Thinking in his mind like the Lord is going to do something great. He told me to look among the nations and then he goes on to say, if I told you, you wouldn't believe it. In fact, he says it this way in verse number five. He says, for I'm doing a work in your days. Surely the work that the Lord is doing in my day is going to be is going to bring about a great revival in Judah. Surely. But look at God's response. Verse number six. Look what he decides to do for behold. I am raising up the Chaldeans. God decided that he was going to judge the wickedness and the corruption, the political corruption in Judah by using the Chaldeans. Now, I know that probably doesn't mean much to you. Probably like, okay, what does that mean? That's not a big deal. He's going to use another nation there. You know, they're going to come and talk to them. No, this isn't a good thing. In fact, I I like to describe the Chaldeans, the wickedness and the massive nature of their army by simply comparing them to another wicked nation. You guys ever heard of Nineveh? Nineveh was the city or the nation that Jonah was told to go prophesy to. And Jonah's like, nah, I'm not doing that. Go down to Joppa, go the opposite way. I'm not going to. Why is he not going? Because they are a wicked, wicked nation. If you were here for our Jonah series, you would have picked up that we talked about how wicked they were. Here's how you know how wicked they are. There is an entire book of the Bible dedicated to simply talking about how wicked they are. Read the book of Nahum. Read the book before this one. There's three chapters long. Every single chapter talks about how wicked Nineveh is. I mean, chapter one talks about God's wrath on Nineveh. Chapter two talks about the destruction of Nineveh. Chapter three talks about the curse upon Nineveh. You know you're wicked when God is like, I got to dedicate a whole book to this one. Y'all are wicked wicked people. And, you know, they were so wicked. History will show us that they would conquer another nation and they would take back body parts as souvenirs. They would literally rip the skin off of the flesh of their enemies and use them as their tent walls. The kingdom of Nineveh would have invited guests over and and he would bring out the heads of conquered kings, listen, as entertainment. They were a wicked, wicked nation. Pastor, I'm hearing you. But the text just said, like, you We're supposed to be faithful to the text, and it's talking about the Chaldeans. Why are you talking about Nineveh? Here's what's interesting. In 612 BC, which is two years after this book was written, what you see is the Chaldeans overtaking Nineveh. And so as wicked as they were, as massive as their army was, God is like, I got another nation that's Nineveh on steroids. In fact, I'm going to use them to overtake Nineveh, and then I'm going to use them to punish my people. This nation is a wicked, wicked nation. And you might be sitting in here with your mind blown because my mind was blown when I read this. I'm sure Habakkuk's mind is blown. But here, here's what I know. God's hand has not grown weak and using wicked things to accomplish his will. It has not grown weak. And so you might be in this room sitting here going, listen, you know, that boss was evil. That boss fired me. Could that be God's will to align you back with his will? You might be in that relationship, and that relationship might be one of those relationships that's evil, and, and you might be looking at it like, Lord, why would you get me? I have no way to get out of this. That divorce almost took me out. That relationship should have taken you out, but God uses it for his will. Your friends and your family members that are hating on you, that don't like you, and you don't know why they don't like you, they post subliminal messages. It ain't nothing like a subliminal message. You're reading going, is this me? <laughs> They posted it on Facebook. But that might be what God uses to get you back onto his will. Look at what God does here. God says, I'm going to use a wicked nation in order to get my people back on track. In fact, the Chaldeans are more wicked than Judah. and God is like, that's what I'm going to use. It is so interesting that he does that. And, you know, if you read throughout the Bible, if you're familiar at all with the Bible, you'll see this ain't the only time he's used evil to accomplish his will. Remember Joseph, the story with Joseph, and he's sold into slavery by his brothers. And, and, you know, by great events, he ends up rising to the rank of being second in command, only second to Pharaoh himself. And then this crazy thing happens, and their family ends up coming to Egypt for food, and, and the brothers find out that this is Joseph. And what does Joseph say? He says, you meant it for evil, and God used it for good. In other words, God took the evil and used it. So God can absolutely take evil in your life, and he still does. In fact, let's go to the cross. Like he took the worst way you could have died in the Roman government, which was a cross. That is like the electric chair. He took the cross and used it to save you. If you've trusted in Jesus, he used what we would consider evil and brought about good. So in our text, God is like, listen, I'm going to use the Chaldeans. Now, his ways are always higher than our ways. Like, I don't understand it. If I'm God, which I'm not, I'm not using the Chaldeans. I'm going to sprinkle some fairy dust on my people, and they're all going to be repenting. I'm going to be like that dude with the salt like this. I'm just going to hit everybody, and they're all going to bow down and worship. No, he doesn't do it. In that. He's like, I'm not using fairy dust. Chaldeans, I'm going to use them. In fact, he didn't just use them. He allows the evil to continue in order to wear bruise enough to where they can overtake Judah. So he he doesn't create evil, but he uses it for his own purpose. He uses it for his own plan. In fact, this is what he's going to do for the rest of our time together. I wish I had something deeper. This is a conversation between Habakkuk and God. For the rest of our passage, he simply wants to describe how wicked Chaldeans are. That's what he does the rest of our passage. Look at it with me. Verse number six. He says, for behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans. Some of your Bibles might say Babylonians, same nation. That bitter and hasty nation who march through the breath of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. Look at this, verse 7. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards. I was in the barbershop yesterday and and uh, I was sitting there with my youngest son, and I was waiting. He was, his, he was getting his little fade, and I'm sitting there waiting. And as I'm waiting, I was like, let me, let me just pull out the scriptures and just read them. So I pulled out a backing, and I just read over this passage again. And something hit me that didn't hit me before. Every time I've read this, I was always saying, okay, he's comparing the wickedness of the Chaldeans to, to the swiftness of leopards, but he's not. Here's how wicked they were. Here's how massive they were. I don't know if they trained their horses or what. The text says their horses are swifter than leopards. Not even them. Like I don't know how this happens. You know back in the day I used to when I was doing my undergrad work I, I used to have these intensive courses and they would be four hours long. I would go I would work all day up until 5 30 and then I would go to class from uh, 6 o'clock to 10 o'clock and my school was about an hour to an hour and a half from my house. So I get in the car and I drive all the way home about 11 15 11 30 I get home and when I get home I don't know if y'all ever experienced that but because my adrenaline was running from the day, by the time I get home, I just couldn't sleep. I was like wired. Nothing put me to sleep except one thing, and that's looking at documentaries. I have no clue why, but I used to just pull up my iPad or pull out my, my phone and I put in a documentary and I watch it. There was one documentary I watched. It was a Animal Planet documentary, and it, it was listen. Sometimes <laughs> yo, those things be good though, man. It was an episode with leopards and how they hunt. You see this leopard and and he got low in the grass and he saw a bunch of zebra and he was running up to the zebra. And finally he grabs one by the neck. And what he does next was crazy to me. He takes the zebra, runs up a tree with the zebra still in his mouth, rips his throat out, drops it back to the ground. And a whole bunch of leopards come and devour this this zebra. And I went to sleep well that night. No bad dreams. I slept like a baby after that one. But notice something here. As fierce as a leopard is, like Google a documentary on leopards and see how how fierce they are. The Bible says that the Chaldeans are so wicked, their horses are like leopards. This is crazy to me. Then he goes on. He doesn't just stop there. He goes on to say he goes on to say in verse number eight, the horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Then even wolves, I'm sorry, their horsemen press proudly on, their horsemen come from afar. They fly like eagles, swift to devour. They all come for violence. By the way, notice he says violence here. Remember when Habakkuk was talking last week, two times he said violence. In other words, God is like, I'm going to stop violence with violence. But look at the rest of the text, because the English language does not do this next text well. It says they all come for violence, and they're all, all their faces forward. This English word for, for, uh, forward in the Hebrew text is, is a different word. It's uh, uh, kadima. And kadima, really what it means is it's talking about an east wind. Now, east wind in the Old Testament was mentioned at least 21 times. And every time out of the four winds, north, south, east, and west, the east wind was God's judgment. Isn't it? Like, in fact, if you look at places like... Um, when the 10 plagues came down on Egypt. Remember, one of the plagues was that I'm going to fill Egypt with locusts. How did the locusts get there? Read the text. It says that God sent the east wind. So the east wind is not a, it's not a cool breeze. This is God's judgment. I'm going to draw this out for you. Sorry if you guys can't see it in, in all, in all uh, where you're sitting. But I want to kind of draw this out for you so you can kind of get a, clear picture of what Israel, ancient Israel looked like. Forgive me for my bad handwriting and for my bad pictures here. I tried to do this on the first service by iPad. It was a hot mess, so I moved, I moved over to paper. Old school. All right, so this would be uh, the Mediterranean Sea. Okay, all of this is the body of water in ancient, uh, ancient uh, Israel. Up here would be the northern kingdom which what we would call Uh, Israel. So this is Israel's kingdom. Thank you, babe. That was you, babe. Love you. (laughs) She keeps it real. All right. This is the northern kingdom. I'm going to move in a second, guys. And down here would be Judah. This is Judah's kingdom. Now, keep in mind, we talked about this last week. The prophet Habakkuk is not a prophet in Israel. He is a prophet in Judah. Next to Judah is a very small, slim, slim little body of water called the Dead Sea. I took a swim in this, by the way. It was not refreshing. It was salty. Uh, in fact, so then over here, some other kingdoms over here, over here would be the desert. Yeah. You didn't help me out, so I got stuck. Come on, baby. You're supposed to be on it. So I'm going to do a little compass here. We have north, right? We have south. We have east. And we have west. Stay with me. Stay with me. Sorry if you can't see. This is the the map of ancient, uh, ancient Israel. You have the Mediterranean Sea, the northern kingdom, which is the kingdom of Israel. You have the southern kingdom, which is the kingdom of Judah. The Dead Sea, all desert. Some mountains over here, all desert. Now understand what the text is saying. It is saying that the Chaldeans are like the east wind. Stay with me. If there is a west wind coming this way, that's a nice breeze from the Mediterranean Sea. But when you have an east wind in Israel, you have wind coming from the desert. In fact, look at the text. Look at what God says. He says in verse 9, the end of it, they gather captives like sand. In other words, the east wind, when it blows in from the east, It picks up sand. And God is saying to Habakkuk that the Chaldeans or the Babylonians are like they'll gather you like wind gathers sand. And let me tell you something about the east wind. The east wind destroys crops. It's bad for your health. It is it is God's punishment. It is not a cool breeze. And so when we look at our text here, in fact, God is going to say something similar in the couple next verses. Let me keep reading. Verse 10, at kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress. They pile up earth and take it. They sweep by, here it is, like the wind, and go on. Guilty men whose might is their God. This is, you know, God's not using the Chaldeans because they're a God-fearing nation. He's using the Chaldeans despite the fact that they already got a God. Did you see what the text says? Their God is their own strength. I don't want to go off topic here, but is your God your own strength? Is your might your own strength? Is your ability to gain wealth your own strength? Is your degree your own strength or your occupation your own strength? And some of us in here like that's our disposition. We root our identity too much in our own strength. But here's what I know. A call to following Jesus is a call to be weak before him. He's the only one strong in your life. Not even you are strong. But in our text, it says this is what the Chaldeans are like. Their might is their own God. Now, there's something I skipped over intentionally in verse five. In verse five. I said, yes, there there was a teenage group running around with these T-shirts on that had this verse. But you do know that Paul uses this exact same verse. In Acts chapter 13. And when he uses it, he uses it this way. This is what he says in Acts 13. This is tied straightly from, straight from uh, verse number five. It says this, Acts 13. Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified, justified from everything. You could not be justified from the law of Moses. Take care Of what the prophets have said. So now he's about to reach back. He says, take care of what the prophets have said. I'm going to reach back to Habakkuk and I'm going to pull in a verse. And look what he says in verse 41. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe if someone told you. Here is the astounding truth of the gospel. Paul says, if you do not trust in Jesus, what happened in terms of God's anger against sin in Judah will happen to you. I'm not a naive pastor to think that everybody that came in here today has trusted in Jesus. I know some of you haven't. And here's the crazy thing. Some of you come every week. You just like the people. The food is nice. You know, sometimes they have coffee out there and, you know, it's just a nice little vibe. I like the worship team. You know, I like the singing, you know, but I don't really have no genuine affections for the Lord. Here's what Paul says when he uses this verse. He says, turn to Jesus or the wrath of God is going to bear its weight on you. Here's what happened on the cross on the cross of Jesus Christ. He 100 percent took all of your sin. Every sin you could have committed, Judah's sin, destruction, strife, contention. God is like, I took all of it. Like, consider that sin in your life. God is like, I've taken that and put it on Jesus Christ. And in putting it on Jesus Christ, I've given you his righteousness. This is the gospel. And Paul Paul uses the same verse and says, listen, this is not just about the wrath of God. It's about turning to Jesus. So if you're in this room and you haven't trusted Jesus, It behooves you today to do it. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till next week. Don't wait till Easter. Today, you need to give your life to the Lord. Every head bowed and every eye closed. God didn't only use the wickedness of a wicked nation during this time to get his people back in order. But he did it on the cross. And on the cross, what we see is is Jesus dying for your sins. And in the midst of dying for your sins, Jesus makes you acceptable to God. Like you do know outside of Jesus, you are not acceptable to God. Outside of Jesus, there's nothing but wrath and punishment. Now, I'm not trying to scare you. I don't believe scare tactics get you into heaven. Jesus gets you into heaven. And it's not, you know, Believing in the gospel is not just about getting in heaven. It's about having value in life now. Because at the cross, that is what we get. We get a new identity. We get a brand new, brand new identity, a brand new focus, a brand new goal. And that is through Jesus. Father, I thank you today for your faithfulness to us. Thank you that on the cross, you decided to die on our behalf. And you didn't have to, Lord. You genuinely did not have to. You could have left us in our sin. You could have left Judah in their sin, but you didn't. You decided in the midst of using words like violence and iniquity and destruction and wrong and strife and contention to describe your people, you decided that you're going to use a nation not to break your covenant with them, but to get them back online, back straight with you. Father, some of us in this room, if we're honest, we need our sins to find us out. Our sins are destroying us. Some of us in this room have, are just stuck in the midst of sin. And maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's sexual sin. Maybe it's not. Sometimes I think we harp on sexual sin. Is that the, that's the biggest sin. Some of us in this room, sin is pride. Sin is gluttony. Some of us in this room, the sin is that we don't turn from our own self-righteousness. Just because we aren't stuck in the midst of what we would call a gross sin, we still rely on our own strength and our own righteousness. Our might is our own God. Forgive us today. And I pray for that one person that does not know you. May they give their life to you. Find their new identity and new focus and new purpose in you. So in Christ's name we pray. Let everybody say amen.